Hello and welcome to Building Brand You, the show where we help you to accelerate your success, getting you more clients, more revenue, more business and more opportunities by unlocking your greatest asset, you. My name is Kim Hainer. I'm an international business coach, a recognized global expert on leadership and visibility, and I designed this podcast for you to help you unlock what you already have and to give you a whole host of tools and techniques that you can implement in order to accelerate your success and build your own brand you. We also publish exclusive material, offers and behind the scenes content in our Building Brand You Facebook group. And if you'd like to find out more about our Building Brand You coaching programs, you can book a free 20 minute call with me where we'll explore where you are and whether Building Brand You coaching is the right fit for you. You'll find both of those links, as well as many others, in the show notes. So let's unlock this episode and lift the lid on what's next in Building Brand You. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special series of Building Brand You Down Under. In this series, we're talking about all things healthy brand and healthy business. And today, we're going to be talking about healthy mindset. To this end, I am delighted to welcome Peter Milligan as our special guest. I've never actually met Peter in person. He's an Australian who's lived in the UK for just a little bit longer than I have, 22 years, but has found a happiness and growth with his life in the UK similar to myself. Peter is an organisational psychologist and we have had a number of fascinating conversations about what it takes to build resilience on our journey through life, through entrepreneurship, through our career. A little bit more about Peter. Peter is an inspirational speaker and business psychologist with 30 years experience. He helps business leaders and teams to have less stress, more joy and greater productivity. Originally an IT professional, Peter retrained in psychology and joined the management team of a leading Australian HR consulting firm. After moving to the UK in 2000, he became a director of Europe's largest executive coaching firm before establishing his own business, New Generation Leaders, in 2005. Peter's clients have ranged from professional services firms, small to medium businesses and family businesses, right through to larger organisations, including Australia Post, BP, Credit Suisse, Kerry Foods, Novartis, Oxford University, Rolls-Royce and Vodafone. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the wonderful Peter Milligan. Hello, Peter. Welcome to Building Brand You. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Kim. Nice to be talking to you. What I like to do with all my guests, Peter, is to basically hand the mic over to you. I think you'll do a far better job of um, introducing yourself than I will. So without further ado, I'm going to pass the mic over to you and ask you to tell us a bit about yourself. What's the Peter Milligan story? I grew up on a farm in northern Victoria. So for the Australians listening, um, it is up near the town of Kerrang, just somewhere between Bendigo and Swan Hill. Um, So I grew up on a 2,000 acre mixed farm and uh, my 
dad loved farming, uh, but neither my brother nor myself were interested in being farmers, really. I love where I grew up. It was an incredible environment to, to grow up and learn about life and uh, everything. So I do really uh, feel grateful for what I had. But by the time I was a teenager, dad realised that neither of his sons wanted to be farmers. So he said, I'm going to sell the farm and get out. I uh, don't want to be a broken down old farmers like so many others that he knows. Uh, so by the time he was 40, uh, we sold the family farm and we moved to the city of Adelaide, uh, started our new life there. Uh, so I was 18. I just left school and um, started my first uh, career in information technology, as we now call it. Uh, back then, it was electronic data processing. I'm old enough to uh, uh, remember the days when PCs didn't exist. So I was a mainframe computer programmer um, and I did that sort of work for about five years. Um, I enjoyed it for a while, but I started to get bored with it um, because sitting in front of a computer cutting code all day, I just felt like I was working on a production line. It didn't really interest me that much anymore. Uh, and then a mate of mine said he was going to go travelling um, and I'd never been overseas before. He had, and uh, I saw it as an opportunity to start off, you know, with someone who'd been overseas. So um, I quit my job and uh, went travelling. And uh, as most people know, Australia is so far from the rest of the world that if you're going to go, you might as well make a year of it. So that's what I did. I had a whole year travelling around the world. So I spent time in um, uh, Europe, uh, Middle East, North Africa, um, and then six months in North America. And uh, it's definitely one of the highlights of my life. But I, as I was contemplating my return, I realised that I was more interested in people development than software development. So as soon as I got back to Adelaide, I managed to get a late enrolment for university and I went straight to university to study psychology and anthropology. So, uh, I went on and uh, qualified as an organisational psychologist. I was actually interested in three areas. They were uh, education, health and business. Um, but because I'd already worked in the business world a bit, I thought that's probably a place I'll feel very comfortable and also it's probably likely to earn more money than the other two. So uh, Very so pragmatic of you. <laughs> yeah, very pragmatic, especially as I hadn't earned any money for a while. So um so, uh, yeah, I joined a leading HR consulting firm. Um, so I was 32 at the time. And the next seven years was probably the steepest learning curve of my life because um, my background was farm boy, computer programmer, backpacker, full-time uni student. And now I've joined a leading HR consulting firm selling and delivering professional services to, um, you know, all sorts of organisations, blue chip corporates the whole thing and I was so green Kim I have to say I had so much to learn and the partners in the business were full-on very entrepreneurial very driven Australians who didn't pull any punches so I got you know knocked about a bit um, but I learned a lot I mean they you know they didn't um, they didn't hesitate to give me some, you know, harsh feedback when it was warranted, which was quite often. Um, so it was a steep learning curve. Um, the other thing that made it a steep learning curve was uh, I had recently married. Uh, we were starting a family. We um, 
bought a block of land and you know built a house and you know it was all the mortgage the whole thing was all hitting me at the same time and then I had this very very demanding job um so I had that going on which is why I have a lot of sympathy for people at that stage of life I think I think our 30s and 40s are quite challenging because if you're going to have kids, uh, they're going to be in your life at that stage, whether they're, you know, babies and toddlers or horrible teenagers. So you've got that going on um, and all the commitments that come with that, plus pressure because you get opportunities to step up. And that happened to me. I was given um, a promotion into a management role uh, quite early in my time there. And... uh, I um, I was very excited actually because I had a prestigious uh, brand on my business card um, and now you know in less than a year I had the title manager so I'm thinking this is great you know my career is really rocketing ahead but the truth is I'd never led a team or managed a profit center I was clueless and I was the youngest member of the management team I um, had the imposter syndrome I didn't know it was a thing I thought it was just me but I definitely lived it. I was convinced they were going to find out I was no good. So I worked super hard to, um, you know, not fail in a very demanding environment. Um, but at the same time, you know, working long hours, working hard, and then I've got, you know, a wife at home who's, you know, fed up with a baby all day and I come home and she wants my company, she wants me to be there to help, which, of course, I you know, wanted to do, but I really felt the pressure. So that was part of my learning curve. I have to say, I, I just learned so much during that period. The other, the other key thing that happened um, was that it was in about my first year there. We had an organisation come to us with a problem, and that was that there were three uh, managers in that organisation that were good at what they did, but they didn't get on. And... Um, my boss, who is the partner I was understudying as an organisational psychologist, um, sort of led this meeting and we, we sat with the client and listened to the issue. And then we said we'd come back to them with a proposal. And then we walked back into Daryl's office. I sat there thinking that he, the master is going to tell me, you know, lay out how we'll handle this intractable problem. And uh, he looked across the table and he said to me, I'm going to let you sort that one out. Like he basically handed me the job. He did, there was no instruction, you know, it's like there was no instruction booklet. There was nothing. He said, you sort it out, up to you. Now, I had that rabbit in the headlights moment where I'm thinking, what, me? Like, you're joking. And, um, but actually it was the best thing he ever did for me because I, I realised, number one, that he trusted me to, you know, do it, um, do a good job of it. And he gave me full you know, a blank sheet of paper and said, it's up to you how you do this. And so what I did was I went home and I thought about it. I thought, okay, we've got three people who don't get on. Um, What are they thinking, feeling and doing every day? And what are they, are they aware of the impact of that? And how might I help them become more aware? So I came up with this brilliant idea. I was going to give each of them the opportunity to work with me on a one-to-one basis confidentially. So I, within 48 hours, I'd created a journal. I'd create a little, like a workbook with, and I'd written some stuff based on all my, you know, knowledge and experience at that time. Um, 
met with the individuals. They were up to doing it and away we went. And about three months later, uh, I met with the HR people from the organisation and they said, we don't know what you've done, but it's like you've waved a magic wand. So in other words, they were seeing outcomes. They were seeing uh, results. And I thought, hmm, I'm onto something here. And I really loved it. Now, of course, that service that I created from scratch uh, today is commonplace. We call it coaching. Mm. But I had never heard of it in a business context because we're talking, you know, over 25 years ago. I mean, it was just not happening, particularly in the market I was in. I didn't know of anyone doing that. We were a... um, leading HR consulting firm, we did everything from executive recruitment, outplacement, training and development, psychometric appraisals, career, you know, guidance. I mean, you name it, we did it with people, but we never had that as a service line. I mean, no one ever talked about it. So it actually helped me shed the imposter syndrome to some degree because I built something myself from scratch that had proven to be successful. Um, And it was mine, you know, because in everything else in the business, I always felt like I was in catch-up mode because I'm surrounded by experts in everything who are, you know, more Mm. experienced and so on. But this was my baby and I absolutely loved it. So, of course, I started offering it to other organisations and it just really took off. It was, was, you know, really successful. And I I found it easy to sell because a lot of it was, a lot of the early work was what we call remedial, where there's a problem. Mm. And, of course, naturally there's a resistance to that because people think, you know, well, there's nothing wrong with me, you know. And I'd often say to the sponsor before I met the potential client, I'd say don't tell them I'm a psychologist because that freaks people out because they think, oh. In fact, I did have one woman said to me, I haven't got a screw loose. That was the the first thing (laughs) she said to me, like I'm there, you know, because she's mentally defective or something, you know. It's just ridiculous perception. So it was very easy to sell in the Australian environment because, you know, Australians love their sport and the, the, the obvious analogy or is, is sports coaching because, you know, mm. top athletes have coaches with the exception of Kyrgios. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, top, top um, athletes generally have coaches. And so when I put it to people that way, I said, look, you know, I'm sure you're very good at what you do, but what I do is I help you get even better at that. Would you? you know, would that interest you? And of course it interests them, Mm. you know, and I'd often, sometimes I'd say, I, you know, I'll help you to deal with those difficult people, you know, because, you know, even though the irony is they're the one that's considered to be difficult, but, but, you know, to them, these other people are difficult and that's the whole thing. So, um, so that's, that was a major turning point in my life. And I'm immensely proud of what I created from that. And it really set the foundation for, you know, the remainder of my career to date. And um, and I started to toy with the idea of leaving the mothership. So I was, I was working for a very dominant firm in Adelaide. And if Adelaide's a small town, you know, it's only a million people. And, you know, <clears throat> um, you're either with us or you're against us because I've seen other people leave the firm and they're sort of enemy number one. And I was nervous about breaking out and doing my own thing at the time. And I'd never done it before. And then uh, in 1999, Jane um, resolved my dilemma um, of, you know, how do I leave on good terms by saying that she would like us to move to the UK for a year or maybe two. 
And the reason was that her parents were getting quite old. Um, they passed away some years ago now, but, <clears throat> you know, she wanted to just come over and be near her parents for a while and catch up with a couple of old friends and so on. And I was completely up for the adventure. I said, yeah, let's, let's do it. Because some good friends of ours in Adelaide had moved to America. Um, Pete was working over there for a couple of years. In, and, you know, I just really thought that it sounds really cool. So, um, so we did. So we packed up and moved to the UK. Um, and that was 22 years ago. <laughs> we're, still, we're still here. And, and what I say is that it was her idea to come, but my idea to stay in that once we got here, um, two things kind of um, kind of locked us in, the not locked us in, but, but made it difficult to, to go back, really. The first one was that we um, had our second child. So Jane got pregnant soon after we got here. Um, so obviously settling in with a new baby, um, you know, is, ties you down a little bit. Because if Matthew had been born before we left Australia we probably wouldn't have come to be honest because it would be too hard with two two young children um so he was born and the other thing was that after a very nervous six weeks because um when we arrived here we had no work we had no where to live um literally it was uh, an exciting but scary time and a five-year-old ready to start school so um you know people People, some people said, oh, you're so brave, which I think is a polite way of saying you're absolutely you're crazy. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Jane and I have this, um, you know, had this attitude and, and I think, you know, this sort of leads into the topic today about healthy mindset was that, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, the worst thing that could happen is that we, you know, we're here for <clears throat> two or three months by which time our accessible savings would be dwindling we're unemployed and homeless um that you know worst case scenario we just pack up and go back just turn around go back to australia either go back to our old jobs or or do something different you know that that, that was the attitude we had so so i think i always do i always go what's the worst that could happen and could i handle it and when you go yeah that's the worst yeah i can handle it wouldn't be great but i can handle it then it gives you a bit more confidence mm. so anyway what happened was after a rather nervous six weeks of you know will I find a decent job or not um I landed a job that was just I mean it was better than I could ever have dreamed of I couldn't believe my luck so I got to join um a firm called the change partnership now it doesn't exist today but back in 2000 it was the leading executive coaching business in Europe and probably the world we were privately owned we had offices around the UK and uh, international associates and um they were very much ahead of their time and I joined a very very healthy business it was you know coaching you know very high level people at you know premium prices um the the culture of the change partnership was like nothing i'd ever seen before it was a fantastic team uh the time i joined there were about 16 of us i mean we kept growing but there were 16 of us plus support staff uh we all drew the same salary we shared in the profits every year um and we had this attitude of you don't join and let, until you've met everyone else. So everyone's involved in choosing because you've got to get the right people on board. Uh, so I had to meet every other person and I you know, clearly 
passed you know the test and I got to join um but it was just a fantastic culture um you know yeah I, I, I I've never experienced anything like it mm. so after a year or so I was so happy and I was earning far more money than I dreamed of earning I mean I couldn't believe it and back then the Aussie dollar was like nearly a third of a pound sterling so when we were living on Aussie dollars it was horrific (laughs) but once I was earning sterling and I was converting it back to Aussie dollars I thought my god you know I'm earning three times the money I would have been earning in Australia Mm. and I'm thinking god I could you know save half of that send it home whatever you know I it was brilliant so I was so happy I loved it and Jane said you're not in a hurry to go back are you and I said no why would I and the other thing about it was that she she'd grown up in the UK so she a long story but she was born in Adelaide her parents were 10 pound poms but when Jane was six months old her mum got a bit ill and so they moved back to the UK so Jane grew up in the UK but when she was 21 she moved back out to Australia and decided, yeah, I'm home. This is where I belong. Then she met me. Then she had this idea of going back to the UK and now she's here again. But, but um, the thing is um, I'd grown up in Australia. I mean, I love Australia. I absolutely love it. But, you know, 40 years of my life in Australia and I'm thinking this is such an adventure and you know the story, Kim, because you've Mm. done it too. I mean, it's like, you know, you can get on a train and go to Paris for lunch. I mean, you know, yes. to an Australian, that's just mind-blowing. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, there's a whole world you can access within two hours of flying. I mean, it's just insane, you yeah. know, for an Australian. And I just wanted to see more of the world. And I thought, no, this is where it's at. Um, and people often say, you know, do you miss Australia? And I said, actually, not that much. What I do miss is Australians. Mm. I love Australians because, you know, just when I meet Aussies over here in the UK, it's like it's like going home. Yeah, it is like coming home, isn't it? Yeah. You've got the yeah. same cultural references, you know, yeah. the same sense of humour, you know, all of that. And you can just be who you are, you know, you, because Australians tend to be a bit like that. We just, you know, say what we think and how we feel yeah. and it's, yeah, know, and uh in fact, it was so joyful for us because about a year after we moved here, some very close friends of ours in Adelaide uh, had all also moved to the UK. Um, they went back quite a few years ago, but they were over here for a few years. And even though we didn't see a lot of each other, um, you know, when we met up, you know, we just knew Adelaide, you know, and Australia and, yeah. and all the cultural references. So it, it was just fabulous. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. so yeah. long, long, long intro, but um, uh, yeah, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. So I was with the Change Partnership for five years. Uh, soon after, about a year after I joined, we were bought by the UK's largest uh, executive search business, Whitehead Man, which uh, has since been bought by Corn Ferry, the global um, American firm. But when we were acquired, we had a five-year earnout, um, you know, to hang on so they could keep the people, um, which they did for five years. And the minute that ended, twenty uh, was it twenty out of twenty-four of us walked out the door wow. because the cultures weren't really compatible. Yeah, and we uh, we left. And most of my colleagues set up a brand new business I, uh, along the same sort of lines. I had the opportunity, but I decided to set up my own business. Uh, back in 2005, uh, which I called New Generation Leaders. 
And the reason I call it new generation leaders is twofold. Number one, um, I absolutely loved and still do love working with what I call emerging leaders. So these are men and women who are typically in their 30s and 40s, who are mid-career, stepping up into much bigger jobs, um, often, you know, with the pressures of family, uh, ageing parents, you know, it all hits you at the same time, plus mm. wanting to make the most of opportunities to step up to be a director of a company yep. for the first time and you yep. know, be on the board or in the senior leadership team. And, and I say you have, to, you have to grow up to step up. And I've become a real expert in that area. So I, um, uh, when I meet a potential coaching client, I, there's something I show them, the difference between a young professional and a mature professional. And it lists the, the, the behaviours and qualities. It, it's not to make being a young professional wrong because we all go through that phase in our development, but to step up to a senior leadership role, you have to become a mature professional and it's a different mindset, uh, a different way of thinking and feeling and acting. So what made you successful in the past, you know, the saying, what got you here won't get you there, which is the title of a book by Marshall Goldsmith, is those things that made you successful when you're a young professional, you can't just keep doing those because yeah. they will actually lead to your derailment. So I'm able to help people understand that and accelerate it. And it's because I went through it myself in my 30s, you know, mm. the imposter mm. syndrome, thinking that being really good at what I do technically is good enough. No, it's yeah. not. Mm. Um, and <clears throat> so that was the first uh, reason for calling it new generation leaders. The second reason is because we need a new generation of leadership in the world. You know, I'm talking business, politics, you know, all fields because the old ways of leading are no longer good enough um, in a very complex, rapidly changing world. And my philosophy on leadership, Kim, is very simple. Leadership, uh, leadership isn't a position. It's not a position. It's a disposition. Mm. It's how you show up in the world. That is the definition of great leadership. It's got nothing to do with having, you know, you know, 12 people reporting to you, 20 people reporting to you, two people reporting to you. That is not leadership. That is just a position. Um, you know, you might be a half-decent manager, but great leaders are great leaders they do things they see idea uh, you know have ideas they are able to influence other people and the reality is you don't even have to have anybody reporting to you to be a great leader mm. you, know, mm. you, you know most of us have had the experience of looking at people who have lots of people reporting to them and there's no leadership they think really you know how, how did you get to be there because I don't see much of a leader and you might get someone who's sitting on the reception desk, who is more of a leader because that person has ideas, they have suggestions, they, they, uh, they deal with things, you know, they don't just go to the manual and say, well, that's what it says to do or computer says no. They'll find a way to solve a problem for anybody in any situation. That to me is a great leader. And mm. they, they build great relationships with everybody, the customers, the suppliers, their colleagues, you know, that is, that is the mark of a great leader. So it's got nothing to do with a position. It's a disposition. Mm. So is it all about mindset? Is leadership all about mindset, do you think? Or do you think there are other elements? Well, 
I'm a, uh, also a professional speaker. And very often I'll open my talk with a couple of things. I, I, number one, I say I've realized in recent times what I do for my clients is I help them have less stress, more joy and greater productivity. And, you know, that's going to resonate for most people in any audience because, you know, people want less stress, more, yes, joy, more joy yeah, <laughs> and, greater, and greater effectiveness at work. The other thing that I say is that psychology underpins everything in your life. Mm -hmm. Everything, literally everything is underpinned by psychology. Um, you know, your successes, your failures, your ability to bounce back from, you know, from uh, problems, your ability to solve problems, your whole experience of life itself is determined by your psychology. So everything is underpinned by psychology. And, you know, you might say, well, you would say that, wouldn't you, because you're a psychologist. But, but the more I, you know, look at what goes on in the world, the more I just feel, you know, convinced about that because it's all about mindset. And, and it extends to our health. You know, you know, during, during the pandemic, you know, everyone's saying stay safe, stay safe. I replace one, one letter in the word safe. I replace the F with an N yeah. for November. I stay, say, stay sane mm. because your sanity is so important. Your, your mental health is so, so important because, and I, you know, this isn't something I just came up with, you know, last week. This is something that I've studied for years. If you look at my bookshelf, um, there are so many books about the power of the mind to heal all kinds of illnesses you know and scientists have to acknowledge it's a thing because why would they why would they control for the placebo effect in any clinical trials i mean mm. we know that the, the the mindset uh affects people's health and you know this is my personal opinion but I feel pretty confident about this is that a lot of the illness that people have suffered in the last two years, yes, you know, there can be a thing called a virus that can affect people, but I'm, um, I'm more of a, a fan of the terrain theory than germ theory as germ theory says, this pathogen is deadly and it will kill you or make you sick. Um, terrain theory says that that is one of many, many factors that influence you. Mm -hmm. And there's no other way to explain why two people can be exposed to the same pathogen and one of them gets gravely ill and the other person has no, it just doesn't affect them at all. Yeah. You know, there are so many other factors and you know, it's so complex. Mm. But there's no doubt in my mind that mindset is is a factor in our physical health, our mental health, our success in life, uh, the way we show up as in being a leader. Mm -hmm. um, your, your, your brand is built on a foundation mm. of, of um, communication or mindset. In fact, um, sometimes when I work with groups, I, I say, um, um, to, to you know relationships are one of the key things for success in life and I say you know so so tell me tell me something really important to help you know make good relationships and you know inevitably someone will say communication yeah so I said okay that's the first one the second the, I said there are three things uh, the first one is communication the second one is communication does anyone want to guess what the third one is <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's like the property thing location 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 yeah. so um yeah. Communication is everything because relationships are at 
you know, if you think about it, that's what a, a relationship is. It is yeah. communication. Yeah. And yeah. there are three, broadly, three levels of communication. There's communication with um, those outside our organisation or immediate team. There, are, there is communication within our organisation or immediate team. And there's one other person that we're communicating with constantly. And who would that be? Me. Myself. Yeah. <laughs> and, and people always say that because everyone gets it. We're constantly, you know, there's this internal dialogue. Yeah. And what I believe is that that internal dialogue, the quality of that will determine the quality of the dialogue with every external stakeholder in your life. Yeah. So you've got to get the mindset right first. Yeah. It's like start with self. Yeah. Or every time. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But don't end with it. I mean, no, start, take it people, further. Some people, some people start with self and end there, and that is just pure <laughs> absorption with self, which is uh, doesn't it doesn't end. Which well. is not healthy. <laughs> no. no, that is not healthy. In no. fact, um, I, I've got a model that, uh, um, well, uh, I probably should mention at this point. There's a um, a series I recorded called Sixty Life Changing Lessons in Sixty Weeks. And I decided to do that at the end of 2020 because I'd never got around to writing a book. And I thought, well, in case I go under a bus in the next, you know, couple of years, I want to make sure I leave something in the world that, uh, you know, the, the, the stuff that I've learned. So I decided to record a, a series um, because it was my 60th birthday. I launched it, 60 life-changing lessons in 60 weeks. And people can sign up for that for free and you just get one email a week saying the next one's available. One of the lessons I share, a, a model that I um, developed some years ago called the human evolutionary journey. <clears throat> and basically there's a distinction between red zone and green zone. So red zone is when we're completely obsessed with ourself. We're worried, we're insecure, our confidence is false. Um, we're just thinking about looking good that's all we, you know, that's all we care about. So that's what I call red zone, and it's purely driven by fear and ego. Green zone is uh, very different. So green zone is driven by love and joy, and green zone is about, um, rather than just focusing on looking good, it's about adding value, which, by the way, if you add value, you will look good, you know, because yeah. the more, you know, but yeah. you, you, you don't put the cart before the horse. So you focus on making a positive difference, Obviously, you know, with the skills that someone like you helps people with, it is important to make people aware of the good stuff you do. Mm. Of course it is. But too many people, particularly what I call the, the, the young professionals, their, their primary obsession is I've got to look good. I've got to look good. And yes, you do, but don't just focus on looking good. Focus mm. on being great. Yeah. Nice. So, um, in my model of red zone, green zone, and this isn't mine, but I thought this was absolutely brilliant. The word illness starts with the word I and the word wellness starts with the word we. Oh, right? isn't that cool? And it's important to say this, you know, that we includes me, includes yeah. self. It's not, yeah. it's, it's not it's either me or everyone else. Mm. When you're in green zone, you are thinking of your interests, of course, but you're not just thinking of your interests. You're thinking of others as well, and you're much more capable of influencing people um, 
and adding more value in the world rather than it's all about me. And as long as I'm doing well, as long as I'm getting what I need, if that's your modus operandi, it doesn't end well you know, mm. for you because one way or another it'll catch up with you. Uh, I, I think there's something exhausting about what you describe as the red zone. It's kind of like exactly. I've always got to protect myself, I've got to defend things. Um, yeah, yeah. Attacks and defends, that's yep. that's red zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, very closed mind, very, very insecure. And look, um, the, the, <clears throat> the reason I draw the model, so, you know, people um, download it from the 60 list, I can't remember which one it is now, but um, I think it's number, yeah, it's number 19. So you'd have to wait 19 weeks to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> or if you if if anyone wants to get there faster, just email me and I'll unlock them all for you. If you send me a personal message, otherwise, if you just sign up, you'll get one a week. Yeah. But in there, um, I draw this diagonal line to to say that as we move left to right, we start to have less and less red zone and more and more green zone. Now, yes, we slip back. We all have an ego. We all will yeah. be triggered by certain events, particularly if you encounter other people in red zone, it tends to trigger our red zone. But the, the idea is to keep staying awake and conscious that you can actually get yourself back into green zone, catch yourself there. The reason I draw that diagonal line across is to say that at any point in time, you could get caught back into red zone because yeah. there is an element of ego. So even if you're in a meeting, and this is the backstory to how I built this model. Yeah. When yeah. I joined the Change Partnership, um, one of my colleagues, uh, I'd been there about three or four months, and one of my colleagues, Robin, really lovely guy, um, we were giving each other a little bit of feedback, having a conversation, and he said something to me that uh, really stopped me in my tracks. He said, Peter, sometimes when we have a meeting or, you know, we have an off-site with the team, he said, sometimes you say things that really don't need to be said. Now, he, it wasn't a harsh criticism. It was just a gentle observation, but I really took it to heart because most of us have been in meetings where there's someone in the room talking and you know that they're just... <laughs> not adding value because yeah. you look around the room and everyone's rolling their eyes and looking at their watches, right? Because yeah. this person just likes the sound of their own voice. And uh, it horrified me to think that, you know, I'd be engaging in that behaviour. And even one of my colleagues thinking that, I was really concerned. So I went away from the conversation and reflected on it and I thought, okay, how can I reduce that behaviour? And I realised that there was probably an element of me um, trying to justify my place in the team because, you know, as I said, it, it, it was a, one of the most incredible businesses I've ever joined. And I was one of the very youngest. I was just 40 at the time, whereas most of my colleagues, you know, they were well into their 50s or 60s, this, they'd retired, you know, they'd, they'd had, you know, distinguished corporate careers, been on boards of big companies or partners in big firms. And here's me, little boy from a farm boy in from Australia, the farm. <laughs> yeah and 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 you know his his consulting experience was Adelaide South Australia and I'm in London in this incredible firm and um you know I mean to be fair I did often think wow you know the, the, the training I got at Speakman Stillwell in Adelaide was second to none because I felt I could hold my own but I think at some level I sometimes thought like I'm a bit of a fraud even though I was only one of two 
qualified um, organizational psychologists in the whole team. Mm, mm. I discounted that. And so I think what I was doing, what Robin was picking up on was me talking to try and say to everyone, look at me, you know, I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm clever. I'm doing some really good work. And what he was saying to me really was, you don't need to do that. Mm. You know, we already know you're good. You don't need to do that. Yeah. And so I came out, I came out with this idea. I thought, right, when I, when I feel the urge to speak, you know, because we all know what that feels like. Even if you don't speak, you want to say something, right? Um, I decided that before I open a big fat mouth, I'm going to do a very quick test. And I'd ask myself a very, very simple question. And it's this. Is your primary reason for speaking, primary reason, okay, because we can have multiple reasons, is your primary reason for speaking contribution or justification? Mm. Contribution or justification? In other words, is it about adding value primarily or is it about wanting to look good? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I've taught yeah. that to so many of my clients who found it so useful, particularly those up and coming leaders who, you know, oh my God, I'm in the senior leadership team for the first time. I better look good. You know, no, you don't need to do that. You just show up and be yourself and, you know, um, because one of the one of the traps they fall into, and I've done it myself, someone asks a difficult question or challenges you in a meeting, a young professional will try and wing it. They'll they'll make something up because they think that's better. They think mm. as long as I look good, but no, people go, you're talking shit. Like yeah. this is, yeah. you know, why don't you just shut up? Yeah, right. And say why I don't, don't know. Say, yeah, why don't you just say, I don't know, because the, because the mature professional is more aligned with what I call green zone, which is true confidence. Because true confidence is saying, that's a really great challenge. That's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. Mm. But I'm happy to, you know, think about it or work with you to, to solve it. That's true confidence. Because um, number uh, five in my 60 lessons is about uh, understanding the true meaning of confidence because um the word confidence comes from the latin meaning with trust it means with trust and the day i learned that was mm. a breakthrough for me because the thing about confident people is they do not necessarily know how things are going to work out confident people all they know is that whatever happens i will find a way yeah that's the difference and this comes back to the whole topic of mindset Mm, you know whether mm. you've got a corporate career or whether you have your own business um you know when jane and i moved to the uk without anywhere to live and a job and a five-year-old to support we had the attitude that we don't know what's going to happen we have no clue we're mm. stepping into the unknown but whatever happens we will find a way yeah you know we have each other we have we can get help we can get support we will find a way and, you know, that, that's why I help accelerate, you know, the development of emerging leaders, because I help them develop that, that level of confidence and the expression used here in the UK a lot is gravitas or my yep. boss in Australia called it executive presence where you yep. show up. It's, it's your disposition. It's how you show up. It's not, it's not what you say or do. It's how you turn up in the meeting, the way you walk in, the way you sit, the way you talk. Um, and that acceptance of self and others, you know, it is what it is. I am who I am. 
I'll do my best. If it's not, you know, good enough, that's like, I'm okay with that because I'm learning, I'm human. Mm, mm. That's, that's the big difference. Yeah, yeah. I love that um, we will find a way. It's been a bit of a mantra of mine and I'd always associated it very strongly with resilience um, and why I've sort of surfed the highs and lows of being in yes. London and entrepreneurship and all of that sort of thing. Um, but I love, um, yeah. I remember that from lesson five, that confidence means in trust. And I thought that is so true. It's kind of like having this, this, I don't know, feeling that you just go, I don't know what's going to happen. It might look really bad, but yeah, I'll find a way. I trust that, I have the, the and, capacity and, to get through it. And yeah. I'd be lying if I said I still don't have fear because, um, yeah. you know, my my business is now in its 18th year. In fact, mm. um, oh, it's, um, yeah, it's uh, last, well, two weeks ago, you know, I started my business uh, 17 years ago. So I'm now in my 18th year. And every year I would be, you know, be busy with work. I mean, you get ups and downs in the economy, of course, but, but, Broadly speaking, I'd always have stuff going on. Um, and every year I'd have this sudden panic where I think, well, this work with this client's great, but at some point that's going to come to an end. And what then? <laughs> it's <laughs> like, oh, my God. And I'm having a little bit of that at the moment because I've had a fabulous year and the work I'm doing with the, you know, one uh, one client in particular, I mean, it, it, it will roll on to some degree, but at, at some point it, it will tail yeah. off. Yeah, and I'm yeah. looking at, oh, where's the pipeline? What's next? Yeah. But I've always had that, and I, I always go through that heart attack. Oh my god, you know, uh, how am I gonna how am I gonna survive? So I just have to keep reminding myself what I, I have to practice, what I preach. I have to go. It's going to be okay. The right thing will show up. It yep. always does. It always has. You know. Yep. Yeah, I think something about it always has. I think when I first became an entrepreneur, like I found that first year so stressful because I didn't mm. trust that things would show up. I didn't really trust my own, I think, ability to, to do all, all of the things I needed to do to generate revenue in my business. And it was the learning and pushing myself through and, and just, you know, I'm sort of unrecognisable to myself now three and a half years later, but it's yeah. all that growing and now I kind of go, you know, do you, do you still have moments? Do you still have moments though where you you do have that? Oh, oh my yeah. god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I kind of go, oh, VAT bills coming soon. Do I have? Do I? What money do I need to move around? Because obviously, you know, there's the money you earn and there's the pipeline. But you know, um, some of my work is corporate. Um, I mean, I knew work with corporates, and there's sometimes a little cash flow challenge that happens because of payment terms and all of that sort of thing so yeah I have that yeah. and, and and when I step forward and kind of go yes I'm going to do that and all of that sort of thing and then I sort of look back and go who was the idiot that kind of stepped into that <laughs> but you know inevitably I grow it turns out you know and if it doesn't turn out yeah, well, I'll so learn. For, yeah for anyone who's listening who is an early stage entrepreneur you know the advice I would give is just you, you just plan um you know, for for lean times and also yeah, put do. aside all, all your tax money in a separate. Yes, yeah, which is something I've always done. Yeah. So, 
so before I before I started my business, I was, you know, and so when I started my business, because before I sort of worked out, you know, about company tax and you know mm, and mm. accounts and helping me, I just said, right, everything I earn, I'm going to put 40% of it in a separate account, put the money aside because I just never want to, because I can understand you get that flush of success when you start out, and you, you get you get the and you think, my God, I never got a paycheck like this. This is amazing. You get these big whacks of money coming in, and you yeah, think, well, oh, I bet. I fancy that car. I might go and buy that, you know, yeah. or whatever. And then, you know, so many people, it seems so obvious, but so many people go, oh, my God, a tax bill. Those bastards, they're, you know, they're charging me tax. Well, hello, you know, you knew yeah. the rules before you started the game. Did you yeah. not plan yeah. for that? So I always put that money aside. The other mm. thing I do, um, I have a, uh, you know, I have a um, <clears throat> philosophy of, and this does relate back to the mindset thing, I always want to know that I have enough money to live on for a year if there was no work, no income at all. Yeah. I have to have that buffer because it, it'll, it'll um, undermine your mindset if you don't have some sort of security buffer there, <clears throat> you know, yeah. somewhere, somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Now, I know sometimes we run very close and all of that and you have to believe that you have to have faith, of course, even even then but why put yourself through that when you've mm. got the option to put some money aside and just don't touch it yeah you know, yes you might want to buy that fancy new car but you know what you're better off having the security knowing that you can live for a year without any income that your tax is covered because you put whatever money you earn because i as soon as i get paid i put some of the money aside to cover my vat to cover yeah. you know my tax bill at the end of the year um because it just takes away that Mm. Uh, that panic yes because I know myself you know sometimes I'm so close to to you know a meltdown of fear and panic and I know from my own experience and watching clients that when you get into that place you are in deep trouble yeah yeah because because you, you know if you're if you're going out pitching for business or you're going for a job interview if you're not in a good place mentally you are going to blow it yeah every time yeah. and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah so, so i've always said if i keep a buffer somewhere that i know mm. that you know i pitched for something i only pitched for something last year at oxford university um who, who are a client of mine at the moment but another area at oxford they're um they do a, a master's in clinical trials uh, for, for doctors from all around the world who want to, mm. who want to develop their skills in running clinical trials. And um, they, uh, they bring them in from all over the world for a one-week residential, but they wanted a two-day leadership program. Now, <clears throat> um, I was invited to pitch for that, and um, uh, it was competitive, and uh, I had no idea what I was up against in competition, but I went in with this mindset and I think this is one of the I mean it's my lesson number six is um, pair your high intention with low attachment you know mm. this is this is an absolutely key uh, lesson I've learned you know throughout my life um, uh, I have a story in the lesson I talk about uh, there were, I went on a date with one of the most beautiful girls I'd ever been out with at this point when I was 20 years old and you know we we went out on this date and it seemed like she liked me but I wasn't sure and because of my self-esteem wasn't high enough I was too scared to kiss her because you know what if she rejects me you know that sort of fear mm. where um Tony Robbins um 
quote, uh, let fear be your counsel and not your jailer. It was mm. definitely my jailer. And yeah. looking back at, at what happened there, it was because I had too much of an attachment to mm. the outcome of that mm. and I wasn't willing to take a risk. Yeah. And, and you know, I've, um, I did a lot of executive recruitment in Australia and I know all about <clears throat> success in job interviews and I coach people in, you know, going for jobs, uh, writing great CVs, going for jobs and all of that. And one of the things you have to get in your, you have to get your mindset right going for a job interview or pitching mm. for business, yeah, which yeah, is, yeah. you know, I'm going to, um, uh, so, so pair your high intentions, low attachment. The, the, the other thing I say is the mindset is I care, but I don't mind. Oh, I that's care, nice. mm. but I don't mind. Really yeah. great mantra to have. So when you go for a job, just for example, you care like you really want the job, like you really want to do your best. So you do all your research, you, you, you do everything you possibly can in your power to, to pr present yourself on the day at your best. That's how much you care. You don't mm. just show up and say, oh, what do you, what do you people do here? You know, yeah, like you've yeah. done all your research. You've, there's so much you can do. So once you've done all that, you go in with this, I care, but I don't mind. So the don't mind attitude is I'm relaxed. I'm not tense. Mm. Like it, it's not make or break. Yeah. You know, if I don't make it, I'm not going to break. I'll be okay. Mm. So you, you show up relaxed, but, but, but in, but not laid back that, oh, I don't really care because that sends the wrong messages too. You care, like you really care about mm. the job and about your, your own success as well, but, but you don't mind. And mm. the reason you have to have that attitude, and I can speak with authority because I've, <clears throat> you know, done recruitment where I've, we've got 100 applications. I've had a dozen people with short a, long, a long short list, a dozen people to interview. Any one of them could have done the job, right? Yeah. They're all good yeah. enough. Yeah, we, we 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 cut it down to three people to give to the client, and any one of them could easily do the job and be successful. Each of them has to know that you're up against some competition. Mm. You know, I mean, I don't know who I was up against when I pitched for that Oxford thing. I just went in. I did a lot of prep, a huge amount of prep. I, I mean, I won't go into the detail, and I showed up in a relaxed way. Yeah. I just yeah. showed up in a relaxed way. Now I actually did win the win the business. Now I I, I don't know exactly you know what it was because I asked someone the other day and they can't remember because it was last year. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. The point is I won the business and it was partly because I cared, but I didn't mind. Mm. That's how I, that's how okay, I, I think that's a great mantra actually for all things in life. I mean, particularly that yeah yeah I care you know, deeply, but I don't mind. It's, it's, it's an interesting way to think about showing up, isn't it? It sounds paradoxical and in a mm. way it is, mm. but, but it's that, and that loops back to the confidence thing because confidence is with trust. You know, uh, you know, when I, before I got the job at the Change Partnership, I'd gone for another job, um, thought it was in the bag, yeah. uh, then got at the end, got the rejection saying no, no, which absolutely devastated me. But at the same time, um, just a quick story on that. I got the call on a Friday night. You know, our money's running out. I thought this job was in the bag. I was also in the running for the change partnership. But, you know, I thought, well, at least I've got this job at the very least, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah. 
when Chris said to me, we can't offer you the job, I was like, I really started to have a meltdown. I thought, oh my God, oh my God, you know, money's running out. You know, yeah. we've just signed up for a, to rent a house in Surrey for, you know, more money than we can afford for six months. Yep. Um, uh, Jane's going to kill me. You know, it was a real meltdown. Um, I was in total shock. I just sat staring at the wall on my own for half an hour in shock. And then the phone rang and a mate of mine um, uh, from Australia, who, who was the one working in America, they were coming through uh, London and we were going to catch up. And I, he said, how are you? And I said, well, not great. I've just found out I didn't get a job that I thought I you know, would have gotten. And I told, I told him that I'd had second and third interviews, you know, in a number of places. And he just changed my perception by saying, that's fantastic that you're getting second and third interviews, you know. Mm. In other words, rather than see, you know, glass half empty, it's a total disaster, recognise that actually it's only a matter of time. Mm. You know, you didn't get that one, but there's something else out there. Well, happy story. I got the change partnership job, which was actually better than mm. the one that I missed out on. And I think it's that trust, uh, you know, because in my um, lesson five, you know, we need to trust two things, trust ourself and trust life itself. Yeah. You know, you have to have faith that, okay, I didn't get that job. Maybe it's because there's something better and I can't see it yet. Yeah. Um, what's that quote by... Uh, Frederick Nietzsche, the philosopher, life, is it? No, uh, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, the Swedish philosopher, said, we live life forward. Life is lived forward and understood backwards. Yeah. So at the time you're living it forward, you can't see over the horizon. But when you, when you look back, you can go, well, that was a really awful time. Mm. Uh, but looking back, I can see it was the making of me. Yes, yeah. You know, you understand that it was actually getting you ready for something else or mm. you didn't get that job or you didn't get that relationship because, yeah, to you in your limited mortal mind, you think this is the one, this is the ideal job or the ideal partner or whatever. Um, when you step back and look at it, actually, there's something better now you know, yeah. it might take a while to come along, but when it does come along, you go, oh, my God, this is even better. Yeah. This is much better than the, the, the yeah. other one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember having that moment when I um, decided to become an entrepreneur. I'd actually gone for a I – I was back on the job market after a gap year. I wasn't going to be an entrepreneur. And um, I was down to the last two in a marketing director role. Got the call yeah. to say I'd missed out. You know, and I was starting to think about, oh, you know, I'd have to move, but it'd be quite nice and all that sort of thing. And I remember her talking and thinking, why am I not disappointed? Like, like normally it would be, and, uh, and that was the moment I kind of thought, I've been looking for a Kim-shaped box in a company that doesn't exist. That was yeah. the, it was like that conversation in my head yeah. and I kind of went, I'm going to have to build it myself was this whole yes. thing about I'd had this amazing gap year where I had allowed myself to just do the things I love. I read, yeah. I traveled, I visited my family. I, um, I, I did some study just for the sake of it. I did a 12 weeker at um, uh, MIT in the States on philosophy. It nearly broke my brain, but I just did it because I kind of thought, 
why not? Let's just see. I did some other courses as well, but I had this amazing year. And when I came back onto the market, I went, yeah, I know what kind of job I want. Little did I know it was an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because that seems really scary because that's oh, uncharted territory. But yeah, but leaders, exactly. Yeah, but that's what leaders do. They, they, they show up and they go into uncharted territory. Yeah. By yeah. definition. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And it's been, it's yeah it's being true to yourself i want to lesson 21 is be true to your own nature and lesson 22 is notice what makes you come alive and yeah you know if you get those things right yeah then life will support you but if you think you're trying to be something else yes yeah it yeah. doesn't work and set the people up around you to notice when you're you know, whether you call it in flow or operating from a place of joy. I mean, I had someone in my team who I did a, a Facebook live and she just sent me a WhatsApp afterwards. She said, when you are sharing with people and coaching like that, she said, you just glow. You are yeah. so good at it. And, yeah. and, and to get that unsolicited from someone, you know, who works for me and stuff like that. And I just thought she's right. I do love it. It does fulfill me. Yeah, can, can I just share one little message? Of course. Of course. <clears throat> this connects back to the mindset stuff as well. So um, 30 years ago when I was just moving into this field, my wife came home from work one day with a set of tapes um, that a colleague of hers had mm. lent her to give to me because she knew I was you know, into psychology and stuff. And it was by Jack Canfield. I mean, Jack Canfield oh, yeah. became quite famous because of the chicken soup for the soul and yes. all of that. But one of Jack's early programs, which you can't buy anymore, I've got, I've actually got the CD set now, which, you know, I just guard with my life because it's one of the best things I've ever heard. So it was called Self-Esteem and Peak Performance. And it was actually from a one-day live seminar he was running. And there were so, so many gems in there. I mean, I, I you know, I, I'm a qualified organizational psychologist, but I can't tell you how many things I pulled from Jack's program that I just you know used with my clients and my own life and there was this brilliant little metaphor and I don't know if it was his or someone else's but he said imagine that you're a diamond every one of us is a diamond beautiful precious resilient that's what we are at our core and that diamond gets covered in disgusting excrement it's like shit all over it it's just yeah foul it stinks it's revolting right yeah yeah and because and, and and that represents our guilt our fear our shame all of the stuff that we don't want people to see about us okay mm. we, we we try and hide it from the world so what do we do we cover it with this sparkly nail varnish which is a poor imitation of a diamond we cover it with that now that's the outer shell and coming back to, you know, looking good and versus, you know, being great and adding value, um, we're trying to cover up the crap when, in fact, that's not who we are because the, mm. the essence of who we are is the diamond. Yeah. And, and we know it. We know it when we're in the presence of um, people who are in that place. We know it when we're in that place ourselves because we're yeah. in flow. Yeah. Uh, we're in flow and we glow, right? <laughs> flow and glow. <laughs> we, so we, 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 we just, we, we um, yeah, it just resonates with other people. It sparks something in them. And it's that famous passage uh, by Marianne Williams 
Williamson that was attributed to Nelson Mandela for a long time, but it wasn't yeah. really his. It was from her book, Return to Love. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Yeah. You know, and it's our, it it's our, our light, light not, not, our not our darkness that frightens, that frightens us. us. Yeah. And, and, and you know, in, in essence, um, when we remember that um, the diamond is the truth of who we are ourselves, but also who every other human being is, mm. and when they're behaving like an absolute dick you know yeah. it's because they're doing red zone uh you know covering yeah. up their insecurities you know yep. arrogance yeah. is a beautiful example Ar you know people who are truly charismatic do not do arrogance yeah. because they don't need to they just who they are they're, yeah. they're, they're just they're wonderful selves yeah um so it's a very very powerful metaphor and when i started coaching i really took that on board because I, I just felt like I am going to help people drop the drop the masks to let go of the crap and discover who they are so someone I know says you don't need to be fixed you just need to be found yes you don't need to be fixed you just need to be found That's lovely um bad um bad well not bad no one's bad it's ineffective coaches ineffective counselors mm. spend all of their time going through all the garbage yeah now it's important to acknowledge the garbage and acknowledge that you know you you made a decision when you were five you know because your dad or your mum shouted at you that you were no good you know that's fine to understand that but once you've understood it you don't have to just keep going round and round and round yeah. you know at the end of when when they collect your garbage from your house every week you don't you know you're done with it it's gone yeah, yeah. but what do we do? you know this is like going well i'm just going to open all those bags of garbage and just have a look through them again <laughs> oh yes that's the meal that's the meal that i had on thursday night yes yeah. there's the remnants of it you know yeah. great. let me just dig out my imposter syndrome again and that that decision yeah, i made let's that i was that unloved again. yeah <laughs> So, so, you know, I love that quote, don't, you don't have to be fixed, you just have to be found. Found, yeah. I think re remembering that. So when I work with people, you know, they're going to come with a whole load of crap. I expect yeah. that. And they're going to come with their mask, you know. I expect that too because I'm the same. I, I yeah. you know, do the same things. But I never lose sight of the fact that the diamond's in there and the sooner we can find it and get it starting to shine, the yeah. other stuff becomes less relevant. It doesn't, yeah. it's not even needed anymore. No. Why, why have sparkly nail varnish when you can have the real thing? Yeah, exactly. With <laughs> no effort. Yeah. yeah, with no effort. Because it's just you. Because it is just you. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It just so speaks to speaks to my heart, speaks to my business. It's I love it. I've I've written all of those things things um, yeah, down. Yeah, really, it's just so uh, many. Music. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, I, I think I'm up to lesson nine on your 60 okay. lessons. So I'm getting them every week. I'm not watching them every week, but every so often I'll put aside half an hour and watch two or three. So it's about we'll put in the show notes the link um, so that people can sign up to the 60 lessons uh, that you did and get all of your wisdom um, for themselves. So what else yeah. have you got coming can up? I just, oh, sorry, sorry, of course. Just, yeah. No, just quickly on that as well. Uh, looking back at the videos I recorded, Kim, I always, I speed them up because I actually find I'm talking a bit slow. <laughs> <laughs> 
because I'm an Australian. But actually, it's it's more that at the time I was recording, I was being thoughtful about what I was saying, you know, and sometimes I had to set, you know, quite a number of takes to get it right because I tried to shoot it in one take rather yeah. than have to edit it. Yeah. And, and so I'm speaking slower than I, you know, I am now, I think. And so uh, anyone who, you know, including you, who, who taps into them, please speed them up to 1.5 times. Okay. It's probably okay. more my natural speaking pace. Yeah. And, and, and that means a six-minute video, you get through it in four minutes. Hey, exactly, exactly. So I can watch a whole lot in half an hour, I put aside. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. It's so efficient as well. Yes, I love it. Is, it, it I love it. Good it tip. Is. Good tip. I also know people who, um, yeah, do um, audio books at double speed and stuff like that. Yeah, I, 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 I haven't been able to do that. I haven't quite yeah, managed I, I that. I watch YouTube videos and sometimes I speed them up because I, you know, we think faster than we speak. Yeah. Generally I can get the essence of it by listening yeah, to it faster. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we've we've talked a lot. What what about all sorts of things? There's so many nuggets in there. I'm almost afraid to ask you for your favorite nugget at the end of this program. But um what else is coming up for you? You've talked about the 60 lessons, you've, you know, you've you've talked a little bit about, you know, what you do and and working with emerging leaders. Um, is there anything, you know, particular coming up for you that you'd love to share with her with our listeners? Yeah, I think, well, I'd like to <clears throat> I'd like to share with people that I um in 2020 I created a program um called Learning and Leading in Uncertain Times. And uh, I know when you and I were originally going to be having this conversation, it was about um, flow, mm. um, but it's also mindset because they're interconnected. And yeah. if, there were, if there was ever an example in my own life where I had to practice what I preach, it was 2020 because um, March 2020, you know, everything just changed. And the last time I was ever in London, uh, I haven't been back since. Uh, I'll get back there at some point. It's you know coming up two and a half years since I was yeah, last. Come on, come on. We'll, we'll make yeah, a yeah. coffee. You know. Yeah, you and I'll catch up. Anyway, the last time I was in London was March seventeenth, and every meeting I had that day was cancelled, um, except I had an appointment at the Australian Embassy, Australia House, to pick up my new Australian passport, which is now twenty percent expired without being used. But I had to, I had to pick up my Australian passport. So, of course, everything turned upside down and, and I thought as it was all changing, we were going into lockdown, I thought, well, I can do my work online, that's not a problem. But all of my clients were cancelling or postponing everything. You know, my speaking gigs were cancelled, my, my coaching work was cancelled or put on hold because everyone was dealing with the changes. Um, <clears throat> and I actually um, had that initial freak out moment, but knowing that I've kept that buffer there so I know I can live for quite some time without earning, I thought, well, I'm just going to make the most of it. I'm going to enjoy some time out. But it was that exact week of the lockdown, there was a program called um, One to Many, and it was about how you can run uh, programs online to, you know, for groups of people. And it was, you know, a reasonable sum of money. And at the time when your own you know, incomes dropping, it's like, oh, do I really want to spend this money? Mm. But I thought, well, the one thing I've got now that I didn't have before was time. And I thought, yeah, it'll give me something to do. And it's an opportunity. And it was brilliant. And and what I did off the back of that was I created, a, I decided to build a program to run for groups of uh, six to eight leaders at a time. Mm. I'd done some group stuff years earlier and absolutely loved it. And I thought, why not do an online version? 
Um, so I started to build this program called Learning and Leading in Uncertain Times and spoke to one of my former clients and he said, actually, I can think of a whole bunch of people in our company right now that could benefit from this because they're all working from home. It connects them in, they get some development, you know, uh, so he sponsored my first program. And I built it as we were going. So I felt like the teacher who's one chapter ahead in the textbook yeah. <laughs> building the program because, you know, I'm going to have to deliver this thing. But I had the structure from a book I'd started writing but never finished. And I took the structure out of that book and built the program around it. And it was hugely successful. I mean, I was so proud of it. And so they asked me to do another one and then another one. Um, and I'm now doing it for other organisations as well. So. At the moment, I'm doing them in-house for organisations, as in it's their own leaders. But yeah. um, I also, uh, if there was interest, I could also run it for leaders from different organisations. Okay. Um, model would work there as well. So um, so it's out there. I, I, To be honest, and you'll slap me over the wrist, I haven't really promoted it uh, oh. at all. And maybe you need to talk to me when you come back about getting on with that. Yes. Um, putting it out there. But, it, but, you know, that's stuff that I've just not had time to do. But, yeah, so that's something I'm very proud of and very excited about. But for those, and I can run it globally because the company I was doing it for originally, they had some of their team are in Canada. So it didn't matter where they were in the world. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we could run it. I would say to everyone, you know, sign up for the 60 lessons. It's completely free and uh, it, it, it captures not all. I, I have to admit, when I committed to doing it, I freaked out because I thought, am I going to come up with 60 things? I thought I'll run out and that'll be embarrassing. But I got to the end and thought, actually, I've got a few more. So it was no problem. Um, so I there's another people, 60 even, to come. <laughs> yeah, there could be another 60, but. I say to people, even if there was just one that changed everything for you, you know, just yeah. suddenly made that, that that switch in your mind, it's well worth it, you know. Yeah, so, definitely, yeah. definitely. I'd recommend it. I haven't seen all 60, but I'm working my way through them already, getting nuggets. So um, one of the things I like to ask um, of our guest, Peter, is uh, so Building Brand You is all about taking action. It's about being practical and, and mm. you know, taking a step forward. So um, do you have a nugget that you'd like to share with, with Building Brand You listeners um, that they could take away and either do something with or, or implement straight away? Oh God, there's so many I'd love to give. I mean, there's... <clears throat> I'm not going to give it because it'll take too long to explain it, but lesson 33, notice your level of listening is one of the most brilliant things. I was running a um, leadership thing at Oxford uh, a couple of weeks ago, but, um, and everyone in the group really got huge value out of it. So there are four levels of listening, but I'm not going to go into that now simply because it would take me a while to explain it. But um, what I am going to say to people, and this is something very, very practical, is that your, your success depends upon your awareness. And there are three things you have to be constantly aware of. The first thing is awareness of yourself. Like what's going on inside you? Just observe it as a detached observer. You know, are you, are you excited? Are you feeling down? Are you putting yourself down? Or, um, in fact, um, something else that I learned from a great teacher, uh, Richard Wilkins, not the Australian Richard Wilkins uh, television personality, Richard Wilkins in the UK, um, 
if you look up uh, Minister uh, of Inspiration, um, you'll find Richard. Get onto his Facebook page. He shares a lot of stuff freely. He's just he's 73, I think, this year, and he's got the energy of a 20-year-old. He's incredible. He's funny. He's inspiring. That you, yeah, one of the things that, I mean, he's not the first person to teach this because it's in a lot of spiritual teaching, but Richard nailed it like no one else. That voice in your head that's constantly talking to you and saying, well, you screwed that up, you know, it'll be it'll be talking to me after this podcast and it'll be saying, Peter, you talk too much. You should have made it more conversational with him, blah, blah, blah. It'll, it'll, it'll find something wrong I've done on this podcast for sure. It, it, it's there, but he said that voice in your head isn't you. You think mm. it's you talking, it's not you. Mm. It, he calls it the script. And the script is something we've inherited over time from our parents, our teachers, our friends, society, the media, advertisers. It's telling you you're not good enough. You know, um, it'll find fault with you all of the time. He said, that's not your friend and it's not you. Mm. So it's more like it's more associated with the shit around the diamond. The diamond is who you really are. Richard has a very credible story about how he, he it's a rags to riches to rags story that's incredibly inspiring. And he has discovered real riches and it isn't money because he had all of that. He had a mansion and and he had an assortment of you know, high performance sports cars. He had it all and then he lost it all. And then he woke up to what life's really about. And he has the most fulfilling life today that you could ever want mm. um, because he understands it. So that voice, the reason, sorry, I digress, but what I was going to say is the three levels of awareness you have to have is awareness of self. So what's going on inside you? What's that voice that Richard calls the script, the audio version, the script saying to you? Notice it like a detached observer and say, is this really serving me? It'll tell you it is. It'll say, oh, yes, you need me. You need me to criticise you because if I don't criticise you, you know, you won't get better. But it's, it's malicious. It'll always, always find fault. It's not actually constructive criticism. It's just mm. putting you down criticism and, you know, it's not helpful because it saps your energy. So awareness of self, what's going on inside you? What are you, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Notice that. The second level of awareness is awareness of others right like rather than well i feel really uncomfortable or nervous in the presence of this person or i you know who is this person across from me what you know like try and imagine stepping into their shoes what might might their life be like and maybe even take some time to find out mm. you know who's behind what's showing up and if people do my lesson 33, notice your levels of listening, this is level four, where you really appreciate the essence underneath whatever that person's projecting outwards. So become very aware of others. Now, where is that practically useful? Well, it's useful when you're in a meeting. So if you're in a business meeting, uh, for example, obviously you need to be aware of what's going on inside you. Um, because that will drive your behavior. So when I learned that Am I speaking for justification or contribution? It was only through self-awareness I could make a decision because I had to be honest with myself and go, mm, I think this is a little bit of an ego trip, Peter. I think you might want to just not bother speaking here because actually it's mainly about you and your ego and looking good, right? 
only through honest self-awareness could I make a decision because otherwise, oh, yeah, I need to say this. No, you don't. Like, it's being honest with yourself. Awareness to, and also other people. Like noticing the people in the room, because if you're talking and you're noticing everyone's eyes are glazing over, maybe what you're saying is irrelevant to them. Maybe you're not expressing it effectively, you know, and you, you, your experts, expertise, of course, around branding and communication and stuff like that. I mean, you have to be a very good communicator. And part of it's reading your audience, because if you're not reading your audience, then, you know, <laughs> you can be very articulate. But if they're thinking you're an idiot, or they're not interested, and you're just talking anyway. So awareness of others, who they are, what's going on with them. And thirdly, awareness of the context. What's going on in the bigger picture? You know, in, in the organisation, in the uh, marketplace, in the world generally, you know, having that broader awareness as well. So being able to flip back and forward between those three levels of awareness um, sets you up very nicely. And people can start practicing this straight away. So next time you're in a conversation with, you know, whether it's a, a friend, a family member, a business associate, a colleague, notice what's going on inside you. Just be aware of how you're feeling, what mm. you're thinking mm. about yourself and about them. Um, notice them, pay more attention like their body language, their tone, uh, you know, just become acutely aware because we're not very good at listening and observing. And thirdly, what's the context in which we're speaking? You know, is there a broader issue that we both are affected by here? You know, I'm mm. a systems thinker. What's the biggest system here that we're part of? So it's a lot to ask of people, but trust me, when you start to get better at that, you are going to be far more successful. Brilliant. So there's a bit of homework for everybody. That's um, probably the longest answer to that question you've had. Uh, <laughs> no, I think there might have been a longer one. Because oh, oh. see, what you did was say, I'll give you one thing, and then you broke it down into three. See, most people say, I'll give you, can I have two? So you pitched it. You pitched it. You pitched it well. You got yeah. the context and all of that. But um, brilliant. I mean, and there were so many nuggets that you shared throughout that whole conversation, Peter. So um, there's sort of not uh, there's sort of not much left for me to say except thank you. Um, thank you for your My time pleasure. and your generosity for sharing all of that with building brand new listeners. Um, you know, what's interesting is that, um, you know, I'm sitting here in Melbourne, which is unusual for me. And uh, Peter is the only Australian in the series that doesn't actually live in Australia anymore. So I thought it was appropriate to um, make him part of this special um, Down Under series. My so heart thank is you. still there. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. And you still sound Australian, so it kind of works. <laughs> but thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Kim. My pleasure. Um, listeners, uh, we'll see you for the, more from Building Brand You soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Building Brand You podcast. I'm Kim Hamer. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For all the latest news and special offers, hot tips, and exclusive content, you can also become a member of the Building Brand You Facebook group. Just type Building Brand You into the Facebook search box and request to join. 
And if you want to unlock your reputation, your results and your impact right away, our new program, The Vice Squad, is now live. You'll find the link to find out more and to register your place in the show notes. I help people to accelerate their success by unlocking their greatest asset. If you'd like to find out more, please book in for a free 20-minute coaching call at calendly.com forward slash Kim Hamer forward slash BBY chat. Accelerate your results by unlocking your greatest asset, you.